0: Welcome to Creating Synergy, where we explore what it takes to transform. We are powered by Synergy IQ. Our mission is to help leaders create world-class businesses where people are safe, valued, inspired, and fulfilled. We can only do this with our amazing community. So thank you for listening.
1: Hey there, Synergizers, and welcome back to another episode of the Creating Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco, and today we have the wonderful Georgie Harmon on the show. Georgie is the CEO of Beyond Blue, and is known for her decisive and personal leadership style, and a track record for delivering complex reforms. She has significant experience in policy development, service delivery and change management across the community, public and private sectors. Appointed CEO of Beyond Blue in May 2014, Georgie has diversified the organisation's activities and led significant growth in service innovation, suicide prevention and digital offerings in response to the community need. Previously, she was the deputy CEO of the National Mental Health Commission and for six years prior to that, served as a senior executive at the Commonwealth Department of Health, where she had the national responsibility for mental health, suicide prevention, substance misuse, cancer and chronic disease. At the same time, she led the strategy and development of the legislation to introduce plain packaging of tobacco products in Australia, a world first. Georgie has also led national reforms to lift Australia's organ and tissue donation rates and worked in the HIV AIDS sector in Australia and the UK. She is also driven by a determination to do better for people and their families using a community heart and a business head. On today's show, Georgie and I dived into her personal journey into becoming the CEO of Beyond Blue, and she describes how it is the most purposeful job that she's ever had, and she's still continuing on her growth journey even after eight years in the role. We talked about the challenging work that faced the team at the Beyond Blue every day and how a culture of trust and clear communication is key to their success. We talked about managing oneself and setting your own personal boundaries to the different types of frameworks organizations can use to manage the well-being of their people. We also touched on how vulnerability can be used as a superpower and living as your authentic self is a fundamental pillar in managing your own mental health. We were both so enthralled in the conversation before we knew it. We ran out of time. So unfortunately, we had to wrap up pretty quickly, but it doesn't take away the quality of the podcast. It was an absolute pleasure talking with Georgie, and I know you're going to absolutely love this chat. If you'd like to check out her profile, then you can check it out at Georgie Harmon or LinkedIn and check out all the links uh, that we spoke about on the Beyond Blue website. Feel free to connect with me also where you can find me at Daniel Franco on LinkedIn. If you'd like to learn more about some of the other amazing leaders that we've had on the Creating Synergy podcast, then be sure to jump on our website at synergyiq.com.au or check us out on the Creating Synergy podcast at all the podcast outlets. Cheers. So welcome back to the Creating Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco, your host, and today we have the the amazing Georgie Harmon, CEO of Beyond Blue, coming on the show. Thank you very much for coming on Oh, it's a pleasure,
0: Daniel. It's lovely to see you.
1: So I'm going to kick off firstly by just saying thank you for all the amazing work that you and the team are doing at Beyond Blue and, and, you know, especially over the last couple of years, it's been a pretty tormenting time for all. Um, so the support and it, and everything that you and the team are doing, you know, kudos to you and, and thank you very much. And, and secondly, I'm just going to preface the start of, at the start of this conversation that we're about to have that the topic of mental health is so big, right? We're not. And it's so unique to every individual that we we could not possibly in this next hour, an hour and a half, navigate away through all the nooks and crevices of of what we would probably like to talk about. But I feel like we're going to have a, such a great conversation. So it, it just, it'll go where mm. it goes today. So very excited. And so thank you oh, for look, coming. Oh, it's a pleasure.
0: Up. And look, let me go back to that first statement. Look, it, it's lovely to be thanked, um, but but I think, you know, Uh, I run an organisation, I get paid to run that organisation. It is a a job, but it's also more than a job. Um, And I think that's the same for many of my staff. In fact, I know that's the case for most of my staff, if not all of them. Um, But I also need to say thank you to the community because a lot of what we do at Beyond Blue is entirely dependent on the community trusting us, um, whether that's because they want to support us um, through giving us donations or giving us their time or or promoting what we do or, you know, en- encouraging their loved ones or their work colleagues to kind of contact us or indeed turning to us themselves. And a lot of what we do has is built entirely off the backs of community. Um, and if we don't have the community's trust um, and support, then we actually can't do what we do. So thank you to everybody who's a part of that.
1: Well, I mean... Look, 90% of Australians know about yeah. Beyond Blue, right? I think that's the statistic that I've read somewhere. In, you know, 13 million people reach out to you every year or reach out to the company every year. It, and it's often the first place that people go to when they yeah. are struggling. So, I mean, just having that in place is is an amazing effort and, and something that you do need to be thanked for. And and I, I, I understand that you, you know, playing that back to the community, but it's something that you should very you should all very be uh, be very proud of in, in the work that you are doing so before we jump into the the Beyond blue story and everything that you guys are doing in mental health I, I, I want to learn a little bit more about Georgie Harmon so <laughs> who is Georgie tell us tell us about your journey I know you know you're CEO of Beyond Blue deputy CEO of uh, the National Mental health Commission you know university of cambridge that you went to like so tell, you've got a really great yeah, background it sounds pretty let's, impressive let's isn't it? a, it's a, a bit of a head wobble <laughs> I see going on over there. <laughs> tell tell us a little bit about your story um and how you got to where you are yeah
0: today. look it's a, it's been an interesting uh, journey it's it's something that um quite genuinely I, I am surprised delightfully surprised um when i hear you know all of these credentials and appointments and experiences played back to me um and I don't mm. say that to be cute about it I, I genuinely am surprised at the fact that I'm a CEO <laughs> how, did how did I, I get it? here because I'm you know I'm from a very um normal you know ordinary family um full of extraordinary yeah. people but then you know, I was the first in my family to go to university I uh had a very happy and um and you know uh a a, a, a a childhood that was really formed with love and routine, not some hardship as well. In fact, quite a bit of hardship. But um, you know, I've got a glorious family. Um, and I was born in the UK. I grew up in Singapore. Uh, we went back to the UK when I was in high school. Um, I left the UK as soon as I possibly could and became an Australian citizen um, some decades ago. So I've been in Australia for about twenty-five years. And look, my career has been all over the place. I, I. Studied history and history of art at uni. I didn't really know what I wanted to be. I nearly became a lawyer. Um, I ended up working in HIV AIDS at the start of my career. Um, Fell in love with an Aussie, came out to Australia 25 years ago now, I think, um, and ended up being CEO of a small um, HIV NGO in, in New South Wales at the age of sort of late 20s. No idea really what I was doing. I, cut my t- I mean, do yeah, we ever yeah, exactly, have any idea? Exactly. What we're so, so, and from there, you know, had a series, I've, I've worked for myself. I, I had my own consultancy for a while. I've worked in, the, uh, in governments, both in the Northern Territory and in Canberra for the federal government. Um, so I'm a recovering public servant, um, not a natural <laughs> public servant. Um, so, and then I ended up uh, helping set up the National Mental Health Commission. As you said, I was appointed as Deputy CEO, and about eight years ago, I was appointed as the CEO of, of Beyond Blue. So there's, there's a lot of um, sort of ups and downs in my career, but the, the kind of golden thread that I think holds it together is um, needing to be in work that had a sense of purpose and a sense of connection mm. to people and their lives. And hopefully uh, ha- through, through contributions and by motivating and, and um, steering others, you know, having some kind of positive impact on others' lives. Um it's the best job I've ever had this job at Beyond Blue and I say that regularly and my staff roll their eyes at me but I, I really do genuinely mean it it is a an absolutely it's a really fascinating organisation that's got a really rich history to it um and it's an absolute honour to be involved and and you know indeed lead an organisation um like Beyond Blue
1: Yeah look look it's it's um an area that, that we work with a lot of, as you know, we're, we're a consulting firm working with, with clients, helping them through their culture and, and, and helping them connect to that purpose. I mean, Beyond Blue is, has that, has that in spades from a purpose point of view. I, I do want to ask though, and this is something that has been, it's, it's been playing on my mind since uh, you agreed to come on the show. And, and I'm going to just give a quick Personal background. My wife used to work for child protection. So government yeah. organization, um, child protection. And it was a depressing job. Yeah. Like there was really horrible stories that she used to come home with. And, and I remember her coming home and saying, Laura, just, I like my bubble. Like yeah. I, I'm really happy within the bubble that I live in. Some of those stories that you're telling me, I don't actually really need to know. And, and so I guess is there, is there an element that, Beyond Blue could be a a place of work that is tough to work yeah. at, and and purely from the stories that and you know not not depressing place to work, but I mean it in in its most sincerity. You're doing so much to help the community, but yet you're hearing so many stories of people struggling. And and me being an empath, I would, mm. um, I'd really, yeah, I'd really struggle with that on my own personal level. You know, thirteen million thirteen million people reaching out a day. Um, nine uh, sorry a year I should say nine suicides per day Um, you know what,
2: what what
1: do you guys do at Beyond Blue to measure the health and wellness of your own people yeah to help support y- your people through these uh, through these times
0: uh, look it's a great question and and it's a question that we've had to really focus on obviously over the last couple of years in particular where as demand has really gone through the roof and as uh, mental health and well-being at a population level has declined significantly and mm. people have turned to us in record numbers and we've been really disconnected as a team we've all been working m- most of us are based in victoria and most of us have been you know working from home for the last mm. most of the last two years so um it, it's it's a really great question let me come back to though the original premise is it a depressing industry to work <laughs> in um i find uh, my answer to the that is, it's hard, it's tough. Uh, yes, you are exposed inevitably um, every day to stories of tragedy and uh, struggle, and um, and and you, you know, I find my job frustrating sometimes because we know what the solutions are to improve the lives of people from a, a systemic and a policy level, and we don't, we we haven't yet seen the level of reform that we need to see. At a national or a local level, but conversely, I find this job to be joyful and to be a job full, full full of opportunity of meeting the most extraordinary people who at times, including right now, are living through great adversity and facing challenges that I have I would never I don't think I could necessarily survive or thrive in. And they do and they they are the most extraordinary human beings um, and they have great wisdom and passion and skill and expertise and yet often they're defined by their mental illness. Um, so so I, I in my job inevitably meet many, many people who have stories of struggle but also stories of hope and recovery and resilience and that's where I find the joy in this job. It is a job. Where well, you absolutely do need to set boundaries. Um, and again, those boundaries have become increasingly blurred th- since the pandemic because mm. it's everywhere. I can't open a newspaper, turn on the TV, listen to the radio without people talking about mental health and wellbeing. And I think that is a good thing. Um, but but I need to, I actually have to very deliberately set strategies that separate my professional life from my personal life. Having said that though. This is personal to me. I have experienced depression myself. I'm a person who um, is vulnerable to depression um, and I know what I have to do to keep myself well and that's a constant, that you know, that has been a challenge, again, especially over the last couple of years. So it's, it's all of those things. Back to your question though, what do we do to look after our staff? Um, it starts at the top. It starts with me, the board and the leadership team talking really openly about the kinds of things that I've just said to you that you know, I struggle myself sometimes. It has been a really tough and punishing time. Um, these are the things that I have uh, I have experienced. These are the strategies that I employ. Boy, I'm having a bad day. How are you guys going? So really being open and very human about telling my story and talking about my experience. Mm-hmm. And setting the tone and culture for the organisation where it's absolutely safe to do that, where people can say to themselves, well, if that's happening to the CEO, then it's actually okay to talk about what's happening to me. Mm. Um, And I can turn to my manager. I can turn to our support services. Um, So it's a cultural piece, first and foremost, and it starts with really strong leadership on it. And then, of course, you've got to have the, channels of dialogue with staff you've got to be asking both openly and in an anonymous structured way how are people going how are they feeling um how confident are they about disclosing that they may be struggling um, mentally um so we do all of those you know uh, the ongoing engagement surveys and we also have a number of other channels of dialogue and feedback two-way feedback for staff um and we run a whole bunch of you know development programs so you know mental health first aid training suicide assist training um we've got mental health first aiders on staff Uh, we've obviously got an eap and obviously our support services that we offer to the whole community so it is a cultural piece and it's also then a policy practice and, and support piece as well and but a mentally healthy workplace is not a place that actually just has a morning tea and asks are you okay once a year or it's not about fruit bowls and yoga it's about good job design it's about culture it's about leadership it's about anti-stigma it's about absolutely no tolerance for discrimination harassment and bullying it's about um, empowering your staff Uh, and it's obviously then about good policy and, and having those support structures as well. There's a
1: there's a lot in that that I, I reckon about ten thousand different questions just <laughs> popped out of my head. I want to go back to the start where you mentioned boundaries mm. um, and setting clear boundaries, especially for yourself. And, I, and I, I, a, a big portion of our listener base is at the is at the C-suite level, is at the senior leader level who have people working staff working under under their under their leadership I also want to touch on the fact that you mentioned purpose early so having a purpose and a clear purpose is something that'll keep you getting up out of bed every day mm. right with it we, we know that to be true how do you set boundaries when you're so connected to the work that you're doing mm. like and that's something I think I, I struggle with I, I love what I do. Mm. To the point where I bite off more than I can chew, mm. and and I know that's not only me. I know that's a lot of people in the same boat. Uh, so, how do you go about setting your own personal boundaries? Mm.
0: Um, yeah, it's look. I'm a work in progress. I think you know yeah. sometimes I don't take my own medicine, and I have to you know really watch myself and and know the signs and si- and signals that I'm starting to wobble a bit and starting to kind of burn out a bit um so you know it starts with really simple strategies for me um it starts with you know i've got sorry you can't see this because it's a podcast but i've got a, <laughs> a beyond blue the beyond oh, yeah. blue badge so it's our logo and it's on a little metal pin and i wear it every day um when i and especially during the pandemic when we were working from home and there were no boundaries between work and, and home obviously, mm. uh, and I was working very long hours. Um, I had this. I used this as a device, and I, u- I used to get up in the morning and when I put my pin on, I was on. I was that was work, and then when I took my pin off, and I moved to a different part of my living space,
2: <laughs> yeah, I,
0: I, that was my time. That was home time, and so. They, but there was something sort of psychological about that shift of very purposely going through a a a routine or a a kind of um you know just that simple micro uh symbolic act of removing my pin took my Mm. mind in switched my mind somewhere else now obviously not completely but it, it it was a discipline that actually really helped me um i'm a great list maker so if there are things that i'm doing that i'm finding i'm Sliding into bad habits, I will write myself a list of the things that I that are really important for me to do every day. Uh, whether that is to go for a walk, or um, or you know call a friend, or um, switch off and get a, you know sleep is really important to me. So you know there are there are th- there are certain things that I do. Um, for me, uh, I inevitably you know, do work hard and I think that's that's the the life of any CEO or C suite person. Um mm. but it is actually about making sure that you do carve out time in your life for others who actually mean something to you and who hold you up and who make you laugh and mm. who love you. Um and can tell you to shut up and stop talking about work. Um, <laughs> well, I, and is that is that the bad habits
1: that you're talking about? You say when when I notice myself falling into mm. bad habits, is that is that the inability to put the phone down? Yes, yeah, so, so, the yeah. so there's
0: there's two or three things for me. Um, it is a a, a not being able to get off my devices, and mm. the, I've got to just be checking my email all the time. So you know, mm. setting up different different ways it's the dopamine yeah, yeah yeah or or just that that sense of almost like you know i've got to be constantly on because you know there may be something that my team needs or you know a minister needs or whatever um and it becomes a self-fulfilling kind of sense of self-importance sometimes you know yeah, like the right. world can't exist without me so i've got to be constantly yeah. on you know which is ridiculous um so it's about you know the constant being on uh and connected to devices and and information. Um, the other thing I have to really watch out for is my alcohol consumption. Um, you know, when I start to <laughs> here, here. <laughs> open a bottle of wine every night and, you know, mm. make excuses of, you know, that's just just one or two and then all of a sudden, yeah. you know, half a bottle or whatever. Mm. Um, and also sleep. Um, if I find myself not getting a good night's sleep, that's probably the biggest thing for me is everything starts to 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 look less good. If I can't, if I don't, if I fall into bad sleep hygiene patterns. Yeah. So again, taking my devices and, and looking at my devices before I go to sleep. Um, you know, not getting enough hours, quality sleep. Mm. Um,
1: what would what would you say the hours would be as an optimal Goldilocks?
0: Uh, I reckon at least six for me. Yeah. Um, you know, ideally eight, but that's becoming more difficult for who, me. Who
1: can sleep to eight
2: hours? Well, I can. I can. I, I, I can. <laughs> can you? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I used to have no my problem. Bro- but i found as I'm getting yeah, well, older, actually, I can't I, – I don't don't sleep as well. Never yeah. had a problem sleeping uh, until the well, last couple
1: I'll, of years. Well, something sort of sparked in my head as you uh, you said, I I'll, I'll like to have a couple of wines, but then I also like to sleep. Now, I know um, for a fact that alcohol actually disrupts yeah. the quality of sleep. sleep. So it's almost sleep. a kind of – counterproductive in that oh right but we often think that i'll have a few you know a few wines or a few scotches just to calm me so i can go to sleep but in in fact it actually does the opposite it does so.
0: entirely the opposite it's a very yeah. bad sleep aid it will help you to go to sleep potentially quickly but, um, <laughs> yeah
2: it, it causes
0: really interrupted sleep mm. really bad for sleep yeah
1: So moving back up the rabbit hole to the pin, I I really like the the clear delineation when moving into what is home life and removing the the pin that's, you know, the the Beyond Blue pin. I've actually heard, I think I even read it in, there's a book called Deep Work, Correct me if I'm wrong if it's not in that book, but it was about actually saying, I'm starting work now. Mm. Like you say it out loud and as you log off, you turn your computer off, you shut the laptop down and you say, I'm finishing work now. That in its own right, has it does have a psychological uh, benefit.
0: It's a form yeah. of mindfulness. And, you know, it mindfulness is. is is often a poo-pooed concept. You know, it's all about holding hands and humming. It's actually mm. a really scientifically based evidence-informed strategy that is very very good for our mental health it centers us it brings us into the present and it it focuses us and it can move us from one domain of thinking to another so that is exactly what you're talking about you're talking about saying out loud and with purpose i am now Mm -hmm. stopping work i am now moving into a different area of my life and it sounds ridiculous but it works Try. It works. It's a bit yeah. like deep breathing.
1: The, the the mindfulness piece for me is is there's this test that I like to do, and I I, I do it every now and again on my just on myself, for, you know, shits and giggles or whatever it might be. <laughs> but it, think about the, the 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 test is thinking about yourself getting up off a seat, like when you're sitting down and you're getting up to stand, and count how many times during the day that you can catch yourself. Mm. In that moment, getting up off a seat into standing, and count how many. times, I guarantee you will not get more than three times a day. That's guaranteed to try that. You, yeah, you just and and so it just it's a it's a way of capturing yourself and trying to be mindful and bringing yourself back. But all, I can guarantee you'll forget about it, and you you just get into the moment and and walk off. Anyway, you we know,
0: digress. So, so there's <laughs> another thing that I think again, like when we're on this topic of these small acts that actually people don't think about in terms of their own self-care that are actually really effective the other one is deep breathing and again you know people go really come on georgie you know if you are in a moment of overwhelm or constant you know rumination or you're just feeling like things are getting on top of you you're feeling really stressed just stop and take three deep breaths it, 10 mm. deep breaths mm. um yeah. you will i guarantee it it will you will feel better you will feel different you will. and you you then can reset and move on to you will think more clearly um oh. it's also really good physiologically as well so the, you is. know these little well, techniques it's a
1: micro it's micro meditation that's almost, exactly right yeah
0: and again i think when people think about you know people struggling with mental health challenges it's about Psychologists, medication, therapy, there are things that we can all do every day alongside those things, if that's what we need, that actually can really maintain our mental health, protect our mental health, aid recovery, slow us down, bring us into the present, um, you know calm our minds, uh, which are incredibly effective. Mm.
1: Do you know it it's funny that you say that because there is there's something that I do quite often. And it, it um, and it is almost like, you know, when, when someone says, oh, you know, my computer's not working, it's really slow, switch it off and switch it on again. There's this something that I do, I close my eyes and that as part of that breathing technique, but I feel like I've actually got this little bit of a reset button mm. in my own head. You can really concentrate on just trying to clear your brain for 30 seconds. Mm. And as a way of reset, and it does, it absolutely does wonders. Yeah. It does wonders. And, and I actually, it's something that I do as I arrive home from work. Um, uh, and then I, before I get out the car, mm. and, um, you know, it's almost as a way of resetting and okay, I'm resetting into into home life. So, um, yeah. So, so many, or you, you go for a run when you get home exactly. is something else that I do. Yeah. And just almost use that as a circuit breaker between, um, Moving on to the next project or the next uh, part of your life or whatever it might be. Yeah,
0: and and actually having you mention exercise and that's the other strategy that is really important to me and that works really mm. well for me is just, you know, I, I exercise, I go to the gym, um, got a personal trainer, and but even if it's just moving your body in a really gentle way, you know, walking around oh. the park, around the streets, whatever, doing a few you know, push-ups on the balcony, Um, that can really help as well. And the other technique that I use (laughs) is, um, you know, it's about that sort of separation of, you know, work and and play. Um, Quite often when I go out, you know, we have this terrible thing that we do in social situations. Oh, you know, what's your name? What do you do? And that's the second question we ask. Um, And, you know, I kind of go, oh, I work for the blue. And the moment I say that, people go, oh, Beyond Blue, such a great organisation, which is lovely. But then inevitably um, people want to share their story with me and they want to seek advice from me because nine times out of ten, someone will either be going through something themselves or in a work situation or in a family situation. And quite genuinely they are, you know, they're desperate for advice, information, support, and um, that's an incredible privilege. but it's something that i need to be really mindful of because if i'm out with friends trying to have a social enjoyable time and i end up in the corner with someone um which again is i'm not complaining about it um and it's uh, i think an important part of my role um sometimes my friends say to me georgie can you be georgie the accountant tonight yeah um and sometimes i do that um yeah. if i'm just like actually i just can't do it tonight i need i need to just Be with my friends and be a silly person tonight. Not be the CEO of Beyond Blue.
1: And that is, I mean, you've got some great friends, right? Like that. that Actually, I've got got the best friends. They are just
0: magic, my friends. Well,
1: that can actually recognise that. And I think that is another point that we need to actually dive into is spending time with people who aren't in your world (laughs) sometimes is is that like my I got a group of mates and you know we just get together and talk football Mm. you know talk talk sport Mm. talk formula one whatever it might be like it it, it is just an escape from the everyday um, you know strategy change Mm. culture leading people um, you know hitting KPI it's all the above so it is uh, it is nice to have so let's move back up the rabbit hole into the, how Beyond Blue manage. And you gave some really great ideas around um, some of the things that, that Beyond Blue do, there's boundaries in place, there's, you know, the, the surveys, there's the um, opportunities, there's learning, there's mental health supervisor, you know, all the above. Do you set KPIs on this stuff? Is it, is it something that you have entrenched and you track on a daily basis?
0: No, and, no, it's not actually. And it's I, I think I think um I mean we do in a macro sense, in the sense of, you know, the the cultural scores, you know, um yeah. and we, we measure things like um we started to measure things like, you know, how willing are staff to disclose, how confident are they to disclose that they have got a mental health challenge or a struggle or a diagnosis. Um, what You know, what are the contexts in which they do that? Who would they trust to talk to about that? So I think that's a really good barometer of this stuff. Um, it's it's not a, a prevalence indicator. I think people in workplaces are fixated on measuring prevalence of mental health um, issues yeah. amongst their workplace. And my question is why? Hmm. A, prevalence is a lag indicator. It's a pretty meaningless indicator. Yeah. Um, I can guarantee you that at least one in five of your workforce will if they're being honest and feel comfortable disclosing that, we'll be ticking that box because that's mm-hmm. what we experience in the general popu- working population, one in five of us. Uh, working Australians will experience um, a mental health challenge in any given year. Um, so unless, so, what's the point of measuring prevalence? What are you going to do with that? You're much better off measuring things like levels of confidence of disclosure, um, willingness to seek support, Um uh, perception of whether or not i the leadership team and the organization generally take mental health of the workforce seriously whether or not we model it and champion it so those are the kind of measures that we do um we do collect um we don't we haven't moved into the space of setting targets as yet but it's something actually we're looking at in terms of um really lifting the capability and um Capacity of our people and culture team and starting to get in place um, business intelligence and data and insights that actually measure different demographics and cultural and um, performance um, metrics. So it's a work, we're a work in progress like many organizations. Um, I think we've got the foundations there and I think as people would expect and, and should expect from an organization like Beyond Blue, I think we are, we've got the hallmarks and the characteristics and the policies and the practices of a mentally healthy workplace Mm. we don't get it right 100 of the time um but you know we we practice um we we follow best practice when it comes to things like this do we measure it and report on it routinely no we don't actually um but it's something that my board and i are in active conversation about we've actually started esg reporting for the first time in our annual report where we're starting to report on this kind of stuff. We don't have to as a not-for-profit. We're not uh, no, required to, but we've decided to hold ourselves to a whole absolute, higher standard.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Amazing. The, is there any um, is there any frameworks that you have seen that workplaces have used that you've you've thought to yourself actually that that's something that could really work?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So. Uh, there are a whole bunch of frameworks out there that are incredibly evidence-based that are broadly saying the same thing with slightly different methodologies or metrics. Mm. Um, You know, everybody's got their own framework, right? Um, Mm. uh, But they're they're all loosely based on, you know, what do you do to prevent, what do you do to intervene early and how do you support? So the prevention, intervention support um, parameters. Um, The National Mental Health Commission uh, has got a very good document that it's published last year. Um, I think it's called something about, like the National Mental Health uh, Work Framework. Um, uh, so, so that's available on the Commission's website. Um, Safe Work Australia have some really good materials. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the Beyond Blue has a, a website called Heads Up. Mm-hmm. Um, which also has a framework as well. Um, so all of these are free resources. If you want to start on Beyond Blue's Heads Up website, that's headsup.org.au, um, there is a framework that's designed for all business but also is adaptable for small business, which right. is really important.
1: Well, that was going to be... A, a follow-up question to this we keep, keep going
0: yeah. yeah so so you know a small business owner you know i can't I just can't imagine how they survive this stuff you know they don't have an hr department it's them um mm-hmm. the business is their superannuation fund mm-hmm. um they've they've lived through the most tumultuous time and the mm-hmm. uncertainty of the future for many small businesses is just profound um, and we know that uh, these are people who are very stoic and they Quite often struggle in silence, and they feel deeply the responsibility of employing others, and they employ their friends and their family, and it's personal, right? Um, and the, their mental health really suffers. Um, and they're the small business sector, as you well know, is the, employs more Australians than any other size yeah. of business. So. Uh, This is a a sector that we need to really focus on Um, and thankfully we are. Um, We've got not just in the Heads Up website a whole bunch of assets, free training um, and resources for small business, but that's been designed for small business with small business owners. Um, We've actually been funded by the federal government um, until the end of the year to continue uh, a low-intensity service called New Access for Small Business Owners. And that is a completely free service that works one-on-one with a small business owner um, and it's a, is a, is a six-week or a six-session treatment program uh, where you're assigned a coach um, and that coach works with you to identify what the issues are for you um, and mm-hmm. what's driving them and then through very evidence-based Cognitive behavioral therapy um, uh, teaches you and empowers you to deal with those problems and those struggles. And what we do is we actually measure clinically validated well being and mental health improvement measures at every single point of contact between the person and their coach. And guess what? Seven out of 10 small business owners are recovering. They're entering the program actually quite unwell with quite severe symptoms, and they are leaving the program, not just with a whole bunch of strategies in their toolkit that they've got for life, that are very practical and very contextual to their working environment. Clinically, they are recovered. Um, And so we're really proud of that program. Um, So if people are interested...
1: So so can you you just repeat the... uh, Yeah, it's
0: called New Access for Small Business Owners. And if you just Google that... Um, it's completely free um, it's delivered entirely uh, by telehealth um, so it's very accessible um, and telehealth mental health services delivered by telehealth guess what they're just as effective as face-to-face therapy Talking to another human right <laughs> um, it, it, you know some people prefer a face-to-face medium we we actually through the pandemic we couldn't deliver this face-to-face yeah. for obvious reasons and the recovery scores have not declined, yeah, so great. it's phone. It can be done through a platform, you know, an online Zoom, platform, Zoom, like or, or it can be done over the phone. Um, yeah, it, it's extended hours, so we're not we just don't work in business hours. You have the same coach for the whole treatment program. Um, it's completely free. You don't need a doctor's referral. Um, you don't need a diagnosis. You just give us a bell, and we talk. We we do a clinical assessment and if you're too unwell if we think you need more specialist support we step you up into another service if and if but if you're the right kind of, at the right kind of stage and um and, and and we think that this is a program that can work for you you then get assigned a coach and you off you go
1: so i'm going to ask a little bit about that um, cuz it's something i feel like and I'll talk from a personal note. In a, in a recent article that you wrote on The Guardian, you said that we can survive almost anything if we know that it has an endpoint, mm. right? And, and the struggles seem to stretch limitless, limitlessly into the distance. Struggles that seem to stretch limitlessly into the distance hit harder, and ceases, ceaseless uncertainty can chip away mm. at resilience, right? So I'm a joyful, I, I'm a
0: joyful person. You,
1: that, I mean, <laughs> I didn't do the words any justice, but they are amazing words, and it it is it's it's deep. I mean, that's almost poultry in my head. The as a leader of a small business, I you know we're a team consulting company, twenty odd people strong. Um, there are days where my brain is foggy. Mm. You know, there are days I go home with migraines. I get a lot of pains in the necks and in my neck and shoulders. Um, and the overwhelm is 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 real, right? Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes, like the ability to do something about it gets in the way by just something else getting piled on,
0: yeah,
1: day in and day out. So, what is when you say with that um, the new access is is you talked about we'll do an assessment is there a level i mean i would say a lot of people in small business would be in the world that i'm living in right where it is tough and you're dealing with people and but you just got to keep on keeping on um i have uh, i have not in any point fallen into a depressed state or anything like that it's always just but it, it's the overwhelming and, mm. and you know the anxiety can be crippling sometimes mm. but is that yeah where does a when, when are you not well enough, I think, is if, or even, is that even a question?
0: Well, I think that's exactly the question we should be asking. And I think, yes. um, you know, we too often talk about um, mental health when we're actually talking about mental illness. Mm. Mental health is a state we should all be aspiring to. We, mm. Just like we should want to be physically healthy, we should want to be mentally healthy. But we conflate this, you know, we use the term mental health when we're actually talking about mental illness. Um, I want everybody in Australia to be constantly thinking about how their minds are working, how they're feeling about themselves, how their concentration levels are, um, what their levels of self-worth are, how are they feeling about their futures. And through those asking those questions of ourselves, not just, oh, my knee's a bit sore today or I want to lose a bit of weight or, you know, I want to earn more money. These are que- this other questions that we should be asking ourselves because they're fundamental to our existence and our ability to live contributing lives as human beings. And that might sound really deep. And I guess in a sense it is. But we are asking ourselves too often the wrong questions. And if we ask ourselves those kinds of questions on a regular basis, we become attuned to the times in our lives we're functioning well. We're feeling joy. We're feeling happy. We're feeling connected to others. We're feeling connected to our work. Um, we've We've got balance in our lives. Not stress-free. And not trouble-free, but we're able to cope with those stresses and and troubles. Compared to those times where we're starting to feel wobbly, overwhelmed, we're starting to doubt ourselves, we're starting to hate ourselves a bit, we're starting to feel disconnected from those that we love, we're starting to shut people out, we're turning to alcohol, we're not sleeping well, our bodies are starting to ache for for unknown reasons. All of those things are signs that our mental health are starting to decline. And the general way we've talked about this is signs and symptoms. Um, I want us to start thinking about it in terms of how you know, how, are, how am I? How am I feeling yeah. about myself? Am I feeling connected? And through that, um, noticing things phys- physically about ourselves, noticing things about our behaviours, noticing things Things in the way that we're talking to others, noticing ways that we're feeling about our work and our lives, and then through that, understanding that hey, actually I might I might need a bit of a tune up. You know, we, we we're pretty good at generally at going and getting breast screens or you know um, uh, blood tests when we're feeling a bit off or you know all of the kind of screens that we do and general health checkups. Let's have a checkup from the neck up every now and then. There is absolutely nothing wrong with you picking up the phone and speaking to Beyond Blue on a day where you feel that way, Daniel. There's absolutely nothing wrong with you as a small business owner if you are feeling overwhelmed and those feelings last for a week or so, calling Beyond Blue and saying, hey, I want to check out this new access service. Mm. You do not need to be profoundly unwell. In fact, we don't want you to be. Mm. We want to stop people getting to the point where they actually need specialist services. It's about prevention and early intervention. And that's really Beyond Blue's spot, sweet spot. Um, you know, we want people to reach out to us before they are profoundly sick. We also want them to reach out to us when they're really sick too. And we can yeah. cater for both. But let's actually change the conversation. Let's actually change the way we think about this and not see this. See, this as a sensible personal and business strategy to keep mm-hmm. ourselves mentally healthy and, and tuned up. I love it. The, the
1: overwhelm, is, when I experience overwhelm, when I experience anxiety, you know, with, with the consulting company that I work we work like am managing directories for, is, is a company that deals with change, right? Mm. We, we help businesses through change. So I, I kind of know the fundamentals of change and I know that when things are uncomfortable, it, it generally means that you are going through a growth time in your life. Mm. And so, how do you differentiate between the overwhelm and the uncomfortableness of change? Uh, and then, on top of that, what is your thoughts of the entrepreneurial world, who who then talk about hustle and hustle and hustle and 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 the nonstop? You've got to get it done. You have got to work the long hours. You mm-hmm. burn the midnight oil. All this. Mm-hmm. You, as a CEO of Beyond Blue, how do you wrap all that up into one package? And 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 and, and do you? Um, do you have um, any sort of disdain towards those thoughts of hustle, 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 and know what it can do to people's health?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I am a person who actually gets a lot of energy from being pushed. Yeah, and I agree. and, I but it's when that tips it over into, um, being pushing myself without purpose and the wheels turning but actually just not going anywhere and just mm. cy- that cycling, that endless cycling. Um, so, so I think it really do- comes down to this idea of self-care. And, again, self-care is one of those terms that sounds very um, new age and meaningless and woolly. Um, and, again, I, the way I frame it is going back to that idea that self-care is the most important business tool that you've got. If you are not good, if you are not operating at your best, the best you can be every day in terms of your functioning, and some days that'll be 30%, some days that'll be 130%, um, then you are no good to yourself, you are no good to your company, you're no good to your team, or you're not going to be as good as you can be for all of those assets. And you're certainly not good for your family and your loved ones. So you know this notion of self-care at being a the, the the most important element of your business strategy. Um, I think people need to pay attention to,
1: and it's a, it's a way of in-person you, risk mitigation. That's isn't That's exactly it, really? right,
0: especially yeah. if you are in small business. You are the business uh, quite often. Um, so if you are not thriving, and and again, not not none of us can thrive a hundred percent of the time, but if yeah. you are not practicing the things that keep you upright and keep you focused and keep you happy and healthy um, then you're doing yourselves your business your customers and your team a disservice so it's and self-care is a quite often people feel quite uncomfortable about it because it actually is essentially a selfish act it's saying my mental health and my well-being is the most important thing and I'm going to prioritise that among, uh, over and above anything else. So it, it, if you break it down you think about it like that, you could think about it as a selfish act, but it is not. It is a very, very important, essential, smart strategy um, that yeah. means that you can be at your, the best you can be for, again, your business, your customers, and your team.
2: You've
1: you've been quoted saying vulnerability is your superpower,
2: mm.
1: and I love that. And we're, we're big Brené Brown fans here, <laughs> <at> creating synergy <laughs> and synergy here. And she's the vulnerability superstar. Mm. Can can you explain to us your thought your thought process when you say vulnerability is your superpower, and mm. and can you be too vulnerable?
0: mm uh i think i have been practicing this term authentic leadership which is the you know mm. the latest buzzword and the sort of vulnerable yeah. leadership buzzword i think i've actually been practicing those things um without knowing them mm. <laughs> for my whole career because there is i don't know what it is but i've i've always approached and maybe not right at the start of my career where i was kind of trying to figure out what it was all about and who I was and who I wanted to be Uh, and maybe it comes down to the fact that I'm also a gay woman and, you know, coming out very early in my career um, and having a relatively good experience in that coming out um, was really just like, well, I I made a very conscious decision to just be me Mm. and to be me at work and to not try and pretend to be something that I wasn't and to not try and... um, pretend that i was better than i because because again i you know it's you could label i i I have experienced imposter syndrome like a lot of people (laughs) have i've experienced lack of confidence and i still do um but to me the way one of the ways that i cope with that is just to say well look what do i think i'm pretty good at what do people connect with me on and where where do i get good feedback and let me work on those things and let me really amplify those and those inevitably were the things that I think are characterized as authentic and vulnerable leadership. Talking really openly about who I am. I'm yeah. um, talking really openly about the values that I hold and how I go about thinking and behaving in a workplace. Um, you know, opening up and telling my own story, whether that's about, you know, being a, a member of the LGBTI community or whether that is about my experience of depression. Um, people, far from In in a world where we're often taught that toughing it out is how you get ahead, um, that my experience of approaching that differently has worked for me, and it hasn't it hasn't um, hasn't affected my career. I think it's actually helped my career, if I'm honest. And I think it's becoming more and more important. I think those leaders who still practice those very traditional hierarchical barking orders at people, um, inaccessible, uh, closed um, and (laughs) self-important style of leadership, Mm -hmm. they're not going to thrive in this new world.
1: No, they're not.
0: And this generational shift that we've seen around what um, employees are looking for in in their employer. Um, and guess what? Behind remuneration and conditions, younger generations are choosing who they want to work for based on their perception of the company's values and whether or not they take mental health seriously. So, again, it's not a washy business construct here. This is how, in a in a world where talent is, we are absolutely in the middle of a war. Yeah. Um, and you, you want to try and attract and retain the best and brightest if you are not seen as a leader and a work place that takes people's mental health and well-being seriously you're not going to attract people you're not going to
1: no you're not Can and 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 i think vulnerability is showing yourself that's right but that you i mean you said it quite um clearly earlier in in this podcast that you don't have your good days right there are some days where you have you go home and have those couple of wines and Mm. And you, you do have your ups and downs. That in itself is is showing some vulnerability. It's not it's not putting this facade on, yeah. where you're saying I'm okay and I'm gonna I'm gonna grin grin and bear it and get through this. Yeah, um,
0: I, like, I, yeah. And I think that's right. And I think you know the the, the two things that I've learned unequivocally in the last couple of years in leading my team through the pandemic in a time where we've never been busier, um, was i you know, and it's a form of effective crisis leadership, I think. And I think we need to change our mindset and move away from crisis leadership into this is the world we need to lead in now. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, fear flourishes in a vacuum and in a, at a time where we had really no idea what was going to happen and what it would mean for us as humans and what it would mean for us as a business. Um, uh, not having all the answers was a really uncomfortable space for me. And I'm sure it, it was for, for every other person running an organisation. But actually having the courage to admit within boundaries to my team that actually, hey, I don't know what's happening here. I don't know yeah. what, what is going to happen. These are the things that I do know. These are the reasons, these are the decisions that I've taken with the board. Um, this is how we're going to change how we work. Um, this is why. Um I don't know if this is the right decision, but we're but it's. I think it's the best decision we can take right now based on the information we've got. Stick with me on it. Uh, let's see how we go. Was actually a really effective leadership strategy because yes. people said, "I don't expect you to have all the answers." Of course, you can't have all the answers. Mm. I'd love you to have all the answers. I'd love you to be really straight and to give me security and certainty. If you had all the answers,
1: they would question it anyway, right? That's
0: right. Um, but they <laughs> they responded really well to that. Um. Or, and and that honesty and transparency of I actually don't know I think this is the right thing for us to do This is what we're going to do Stick with me um, Was really powerful um, And and the other thing is I think that showing of vulnerability personally when I did have time hard times apart, Far from losing the trust and confidence of my team The feedback I've got is that they actually find real comfort in that. Mm um so again there's a couple of lessons that I've had can you be too vulnerable of course you can I mean I think there are absolutely boundaries uh, uh, of how much information you share um, with your team and your board I mean you know at the end of the day I work for a board I need them to have confidence in me Mm. and if I'm turning up to a board meeting and crying every board meeting that's a bottle of wine you know with a bottle of wine exactly that's not going to work right um for anybody no so you absolutely do need to navigate and think hard about those parameters and those boundaries but you know trust your guts on this and and you know try something see if it works talk Mm. to those that you trust see how that landed um find your own voice in this um you know don't stick to a formula just and sometimes just take a take a punt, take a risk, open your mouth, see what happens. Yeah. Um, I can guarantee you nine times out of ten it will be a really positive experience for you and those who you're connecting with.
1: Yeah, I'll echo that. Uh, I think, though, we have to be very clear on there needs to be boundaries with mm. this, right? I think that Same. is the most, you know, be open, talk about hard times, talk about, you know, the ups and downs, absolutely experiences and, and whatnot, but... um, yeah, there has to be some boundaries. I think it, it just, even from a leadership point of view, you want to you want to see the vulnerability from your leader. But mm. You also want to know that they've got it. They've absolutely, got, they've got it. In, they've got it together, right? They've got and, it and together, that,
0: absolutely. Yeah. And and they are asking the right questions, and they're surrounding themselves by people who they Correct. are taking advice from, listening to, and. And, but also being decisive. I think decisive leadership in times like this is also incredibly important. Um, I think, I think, you know, just coming back to the idea of setting boundaries and, you know, it can't all be just, you know, opening up and sharing our stories of great tragedy and horror, uh, and vulnerability. Um, you know, Beyond Blue has a speakers program uh, where we've got about three or four hundred amazing people who've had their own personal experience of, Depression, anxiety, suicide, suicide oh. attempts, and thinking, and behaviour, um, and we we support them to tell their stories, to share, share their stories with workplaces, with schools, with unis, with um, community groups. But the whole premise of that storytelling is we have to be really you know, these stories are hard to hear. They are honest, yeah. raw accounts of people's mental health and suicide struggles, but. The whole program is absolutely built around the 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 idea that you have to end with hope. Mm. You can't. It's it can't just be all about an outpouring of of bad, exp- yeah. of, of of you know difficulty. We have to these people then talk to that crowd about. So this is what happened. It was bloody awful, um, and. But this is what I did to stay, take the steps towards recovery. I've got a and This chance. is how I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. And this is why I'm here talking to you because I need you to know that there is a way through this. There is yeah. hope. There is a life ahead. Um, you can and, hit
1: rock bottom and. And, go and back. you
0: can come back. Mm-hmm. And you often need support to do that. And Beyond Blue and other organizations are a major part of that journey for many of the people um but quite, you know, there were there are always people in that crowd who will then come up to our speakers and say thank you that's exactly what i needed to hear i need help yeah um so you have to offer hope and a journey and a pathway towards recovery and that's just as important as a business leader as well you know it comes back to that you know i'm having a really hard time this is what i'm doing about it mm. and this is how i'm leading um this organization strongly decisively and with skill, despite the fact that, you know, it's hard.
1: I mean, and, and, and I don't want to take this out of context too much, but, I mean, isn't, that's exactly what the vision of the business is. It's the, in the hope that we can achieve this for the community, that we can achieve mm. this for the world, that we can achieve this for our people, you know, mm. Um that is why working for a purpose is so, is so clear. But thank you mm. for sharing that. I, I, I want to just touch quickly on the uh, the authentic self. It is a buzz. They are. It is a buzzword, right? There. But but you did also, and I'm, like I, I do follow you on Twitter. Um, <laughs> you on your uh, most recent tweet, you said, you know, living as your authentic living as your authentic self ha- is a vital pillar to mental health. And mm. um, can you elaborate on that point living as your authentic self but I'll, but but with the umbrella of the lgbti community the first nations community the religious and cultural beliefs that come under that and how mm. important it is for us in workplaces to understand those areas
0: mm. well i make it my business to not talk on behalf of groups that i am not part of okay so i won't try and understand yeah. how it feels to be a person of color or first nations person or but what i can say as a woman and as a as a, a lesbian is that um and as a person who has lived with and experienced depression um that all of those parts of my life actually make me who i am mm. you know we're all made up of a rich tapestry of experiences of cultures of trauma of strength of you know um bloodlines culture you know whatever yeah and um if we come to work and we work in an organization where that actually celebrates that mm. and is interested in that um and you know we all know the evidence and research it's it's immutable that um groupthink is a death knell for business mm-hmm. Um, diverse teams actually make better decisions. Um, an inclusive workplace actually where people feel that they can bring themselves whole selves to work and be empowered um, to to you know to do that um, are more motivated um, more committed to the business, give that discretionary effort all of those things mm. right so it's it's a business there's a business case for this all of this yeah um so so that is as simple as it gets in my view um if if i was to come to work and not feel safe or secure or confident and i don't you know there have been some workplaces where i've i've not shared everything um or, or some managers that i've worked for where i've chosen not to um for various reasons but but those workplaces where I can and and have, I've thrived. I've done better Um, because the moment we cast a shadow over ourselves or we self-impose, we throw a blanket over ourselves, we actually dull the parts of ourselves that that actually are probably the most creative and the most um, valuable to the business that we work for. Our ability to think differently, our ability to Um, have networks that the business wants to connect with, our our ability to think about and design services and products that actually cater for people who have a different life experience and a different cultural need. Um, That's what business needs. It needs a workforce that reflects the community or customer base that it serves. Mm. Um, So if you're not creating a culture where people can disclose and share parts of the tapestry of who they are, you're actually missing out on a skill base that you don't even know is there. Yeah, so, absolutely. So that's another way to think about it. Hmm. So
1: from a workplace point of view and on, on, on the, the, you know, there's, there's calendar days such as Are You Okay Day, there's Harmony Week. There's mm. International Women's Day. That, you know, all, all these um, transgender, they, all these days, do they play a really positive um, part in society today in making um, in making people feel comfortable at work and, mm. it, and sharing their stories? Or do you? I mean, I mean, why doesn't there need to be a day? But, and I ask this sincerely, does there need to be a day dedicated to it? Or is it just something we should just do every day? Like in, in my opinion, yeah. it is something we should be doing yeah. every day. But
0: Yeah. Oh look, I, I absolutely agree. Um, but is there a, it's a it's a I think it's a conversation that we're having more and more. It's mm. like um, and there is a, you know, a lot of cynicism about these kinds of days. And I, I actually feel that some of that cynicism myself at times. Mm. But I also do think that until we get to the point where, you know, um, transgender people, for example, can come to a workplace and just be themselves or transition at work and it's not even a thing, then we do need days where we bring the rest of the community, um, we, we educate, we ventilate, we talk and create a time where these issues – so, you know, like Wear It Purple, which is a day that celebrates um, gender diverse and non-binary yep. binary young people. Yeah. Um, that sends a signal to them that this is a workplace that actually is interested and in, wants to learn and so we wants have, to include. So we have, a,
1: we have a, a team member in, in our team who's, who's um – child is a non-binary, identifies, mm. as, identifies as non-binary. Um, so I want to ask and elaborate on that. And you would see this quite a fair bit throughout organisations. Is it up to the leaders to promote that? I mean, like to really embrace it? Um, like for me, it's a element of Absolutely, like I, what someone does with their personal life and what, mm-hmm. how someone chooses to live um, and, and, and represent themselves. It's, it's none of my, like it's not something that I feel like I need to go out and, and promote. Um, but I'm absolutely of acceptance of everyone that walks in through these doors and anyone mm-hmm. that, that, you know. So is it, I think the question I'm asking is it the role of a leader to really get out there and promote that? Or, or, or an organisation to really get out there and promote. That? What, what role does a leader and organisation play in this? Space?
0: I think the role of a leader is to is to model and champion the values of the organisation that they lead. Yeah. And you know, any organisation that isn't embracing diversity, respect, um, and inclusion as part of their core values of of their organisation, whether they're a for profit or 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 a not for profit organisation. I mean, that is what people are looking for. Mm. The, the the blurring of of life of life and work is forever changed. Yeah. Um. Uh. And again, people are being much more discerning about the type of companies that they they are working for. Absolutely. Um. So so is it the role of a leader? I think it's a role of a leader to to uh, to absolutely not walk past discrimination to call out discrimination when they see it to model and champion the values of inclusivity and diversity and and humanity and kindness um but you know in the circumstances that you talked about i mean be guided by that staff member that is a very personal family situation that um they may not you know let them guide you as to in in their as their leader is about how they um what kind of support they would like from you if any i mean yeah. you know and uh, and the and the, op, the op, op, you know the thing being if any um so but back to these days of significance um they are important i think and they do play a role but they they are absolutely meaningless if they are literally a morning tea yeah. where we blow up <laughs> balloons and wear purple yeah it's about what we do every day mm to continue, um, maybe not you know issue by issue, but actually just as a cultural piece, again coming back to those, how do we live and breathe the values of diversity, inclusion, and, and humanity, um, and respect? Um, uh, so you know, do you have to have a morning tea and wear a different color every day? I I think that's pretty meaningless, mm-hmm. actually. I think what's much more meaningless is meaningful is when people see in their leaders that they are absolutely legitimate about stuff like this. And when stuff happens that's not good, that leader says, that's not okay.
2: Yeah.
1: And that's
0: not who we stand for as an organisation. And this is what we're going to do about it. Um,
1: the standard you walk
2: past is a standard. That's right. Except it's one of my favourite quotes. Right.
0: Yeah. So it's about it's about the day-to-day behaviours and activities of a leader and a, and a business, much more important than having a morning tea to say, are you okay? Or and I, And, again, I'm not. I'm not, you know, being negative. I think those those gatherings do spark really important conversations and do send very strong signals to to groups that do face advance adversity. Um, so I think there is absolutely a, a, an important and legitimate role that they play.
1: Oh, no doubt. I think they, um, at, at the very least, create awareness. Right? At the yeah. Very exactly. Least, which is, yeah, it's a it's a, a, a excellent step in the right direction.
0: Right. Okay. But but from you know awareness is not good enough. Yeah, correct. awareness is you know that's how Beyond Blue started. Beyond Blue was all about raising awareness of mm. depression. We did that very successfully. Yeah. But then what? So what? You know, um, awareness needs to lead to behaviour change. And um, awareness leads needs to lead to discrimination being eliminated.
2: Mm.
0: Awareness needs to lead to people acting on their mental health literacy, whether that's by not saying stupid things or discriminatory things or or supporting someone to seek help or indeed seeking help themselves. Um, so it's from awareness to action that's important.
2: <laughs>
1: I agree. The, the <laughs> There's so many questions, so many areas that I want to go, and I am conscious of time, but the there there is another area within workplaces that I'd be really keen to pick your brain on and that that is workplace bullying um mm. you know one in two Australians experience workplace bullying that's a that's a really scary statistic and one thing that we often see especially when you know we work with businesses in that culture space we work with a lot of leaders and too many times and I'm not just saying us but we see it across all organizations that we speak to. You ask go out there and ask anyone, and I guarantee you they'll come back with a story where they know this happened, where you see that brilliant jerk get the promotion. Mm-hmm. Right. And or or the most technical and the technically inept person becomes a leader who have absolutely no idea how to lead people. Um they get the promotion. So so how can, in your opinion, how can businesses help set up for success and to uh, to reduce the level of bullying and harassment that they see in their organisations?
0: Well, I mean, I'll approach this from the mental health side of things because obviously that's probably...
1: that's where the angle is supposed to come from. Yeah, <laughs> and I
0: think you know, um, discrimination, bullying, harassment. Prejudice, exclusion, all of those things are very detrimental to our mental health. Um, uh, so as workplaces and as workplace leaders, we absolutely well, – we've got a legal responsibility, right? Mm-hmm. We cannot tolerate it. Um, we've got to have – we've got to provide safe um, workplaces for our people um, and where people report um, – or allege um, bullying we have to act on that um, and there are a whole range of ways that we can do that but you know we've have we have to set the tone from the top we have to make it really clear what our legal and um, moral position is on this stuff we have to have the policies in place that set up very very clear definitions of bullying and what isn't bullying and harassment we have to Those policies have to set in place very clear processes and procedures that are then understood and followed. Um, We have to have options for people to report, Um, you know, different options for people to report. And when reports are made, we, we need to act on them. We need to and that, that can be a whole range of, of, of responses, um, right through to obviously informal investigations that are completely independent of the organisation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's having that really clear, consistent policy and process framework that I think is probably one of the most important things. Mm-hmm. And then to make sure that people are aware that that, that is the position and process and procedure that the organisation has in place Um, one of the real challenges i think in this space is um is that you know people there is conflict when there are where there are people working together there will inevitably be differences of opinion and conflict and um this is a a space where you know that that difference of approach opinion can lead to Real conflict that ends up in, um, allegations of bullying. And, and again, like, um, we, we shouldn't resolve from this. This is, this is just part of, of being part of a workplace. Wherever you have people, there will be difference and sometimes that difference will be glorious and sometimes that difference will be really, really challenging. But again, I think the, uh, it's incumbent on all of us as leaders of workplaces to be really clear about what our position is. Um, and to and for our the practices of our organization to reflect that position um consistently um and yeah i mean workplace bullying can destroy people's lives and can make them really unwell and can be tragic sometimes um yeah do you, do you think but the, but the whole process has got to be fair for everybody it's got to be fair for both sides it's got to you know it's got to be a, a, a very clear um, fair process that resolves allegations as quickly and expeditiously and as fairly as possible, based on the facts and the evidence.
1: We can't go through a a podcast talking about mental health without talking about children, and I, I really I want to ask you a question: Is it is it true that half the mental health issues uh, we have as adults emerge by the time we're fourteen years old?
0: Absolutely, yeah. So this is um, mental. Illness, mental health challenges, mental health issues uh, disproportionately affect young people. Um, So half of all adult mental health illnesses will have emerged before um, the age of 14 and three quarters by the age of 24, I think Mm. it is, 21 maybe. Um, So so unlike other chronic diseases, if you like, which generally affect us like diabetes, heart disease, um, which generally affect us later in life. Um uh mental health conditions um affect us earlier in life, and they are someone's life trajectory in terms of their mental health uh, will be absolutely set down um through the earliest years of their lives. So if a young if a child is born into poverty, into family violence, into insecure housing, into sexual violence um, or an assault, uh, that trauma of early childhood will unfortunately usually um, set that person up for a life where they struggle with mental health challenges. Not always, but um, the it will disproportionately affect them um, when it comes to mental health over a lifetime. So that's where we've got to start. We've got to start with um, putting our arms and services and supports and giving opportunity to those young people, children and their parents and caregivers who live in poverty, who live in insecure housing, who don't have educational opportunities, who experience discrimination and prejudice that's where we can make the biggest gains when it comes to turning around the economic and social burden of mental illness in Australia. Um, and that's the group that we often don't think about. We spend a lot of money in youth mental health, quite rightly, um, but my, my view and the view of Beyond Blue and the, for many years and the view of many other great organisations is that we need to start earlier. Those first um, two or three years of life are absolutely fundamental to, um, to the mental health and the mental wealth of the nation. And that's not about diagnosing kids or labelling kids. It's actually about healthy, um, healthy childhoods, um, giving support to families, making sure that families have a roof over their head, enough food on the table, um, that those kids grow up with routine structure and love that um, those parents are supported to do that Um, and that, you know, those kids attend school and any problems are picked up early and support is provided. And if they start to struggle in terms of their behaviours or their mental health or their connection with others or how they play with their, their other kids, those things are picked up and... Um, that family is given specialist support to help that child and their family to, um, to address those those behavioural um, or, you know, or, or mental health challenges. That's where we can make the biggest difference. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating area. It's an area which often polarises people and gets beaten up yeah. by the media in particular about the fact we want to label kids and we want to diagnose kids. That's actually not what we're talking about. We actually want to screen and, and assess kids who um, who are starting to show behavioural difficulties um, and get them specialist support um, as quickly as possible so they can get back on track. And they don't end up having a diagnosable mental illness. Yeah,
1: yeah absolutely. Is, is it, on another point which we haven't brought up too much is there a fear that the past two years with the pandemic and everything that's gone on, the, the, the being out of school, all of the above, is, is that going to have a detrimental effect on our on the younger generation?
0: Yeah, I think there's a, there's a lot of concern about this, quite rightly, I think. And I think um, you know there, there's a lot of research that is looking at this right now. Uh, what we know is that all of the factors that do protect kids and young people's mental health have been really challenged. Um, over the last couple of years. So again, that routine, that connection with peers, those opportunities to learn how to sit in a classroom and learn together, the social constructs around that, the play constructs around that, um, skills development um, concepts around that, those rites of passage of, you know, starting school or moving from primary to high school, um, graduating, you know, schoolies, all of these things have been taken away for for a lot of kids and young people and that has been really damaging. We know that. They tell us. Um, I think it's important what we do now though and we know through any major life event or natural disaster or, you know, big uh, population event um, that causes population-level trauma or difficulty most people will bounce back. Most people will be absolutely fine, 80%. 10% will not, not do you very well and 10% will be somewhere in the middle. So most kids will be absolutely fine. In fact, um, I'm really interested in the flip side of that, which is having lived through a time of real yeah, challenge, the adversity, that. the, the mm. resilience, the adaptability, the creativity. Mm. I
2: agree.
0: Um, what is this generation going to do i think that they might be an extraordinary I think generation so. I,
1: I, it was it's a it's a follow up question that i've got is is where does resilience play in all this it, um, mm. you know as from especially from cho- the child children point of view but also from going through this pandemic right um and the, the past two years of There's definitely an element of uh, post-traumatic stress there. You see some of the Mm. the premiers get on on the TV with the the police commissioners or the police uh, and the health commissioners, and and you go, "Oh, hang on, what's what's going on here?" You start getting that sick feeling. But from from the from a human point of view, do you believe the past two years is actually going to be beneficial for the human race?
0: I, do, I think it's too early to tell, to be honest. I think um, we, we know from all the research evidence that's emerging that there will be a major increase in depressive illness, in anxiety mm. conditions and in, you know, in sort of trauma-related post-traumatic mm. stress, that kind of stuff. We know that globally. Um, and Australia will obviously not be immune to, to that. Um, what we don't know is the long-term impacts on at a population health yeah. level. Um, and what we don't know is, and there's there's a real paucity of research evidence yet around the impact on the development of kids. So I think that is something that, you know, there are some really good research studies going on and some of them have reported, um, but I think, you know, it's t- kind of too early to tell. You need to really measure over time, obviously, whether or not this is going to have a lasting impact and what the extent of that impact is going to look like. But I think the important thing is right now, we've got to be really vigilant to it. Um, The mental health sector has got to be supported with sufficient capacity. I mean, the workforce is exhausted. Yeah. Um, uh, You know, we've all got to be really mindful of that and we've got to be really, you know, governments, communities, business have got to be really mindful of um, supporting people who are struggling and... Um, we've got to start building a system that can deal with that, um, that potential ballooning effect we're going to see over the next two to three years
1: let's just jump straight into the quick fire questions. I had a thousand other questions to ask you, but uh, you are a very busy human, so you need to uh, to shoot off. What are you reading right now?
0: Um, about six books, six books, all of which very badly, <laughs> and none of which I can remember the titles of. I've actually just bought the latest quarterly essay, which is about um, uh, mental health during the pandemic. So I'm really looking forward oh, to excellent. There. It's so, a quarterly
1: essay, you yeah. said. And, uh, quarterly uh, Who's that published by? Oh, yeah, no, nah, I can't remember. It, well, it's, yeah. <laughs> Not a problem. Again,
0: like it's, you know, it's, I can't remember who the publisher is. It's a fantastic series of essays. that obviously come out okay. in the quarter about different sort of social issues.
1: Very good. What's one um, mental health book that someone could pick up and read and it will have a big impact on their life in your opinion?
0: There's an author called Jill Stark and she's written a book called Happily Never After um, and it's all about her, her experience of anxiety. It's a really good book. Happily
1: read. Never a beautiful After. beautiful
0: writer. Happily yeah. Never After. It's really focused on anxiety It'll really help people understand how someone can appear to be very successful in life and actually, you know, be um, really, really struggling underneath brilliant.
1: All right, will put that in the show notes for people to click on to. What is one lesson that's taking you the longest to learn?
0: Um that I'm never going to be 6 foot. <laughs>
1: have, have you got the small person syndrome to you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, look, I, I, what's one lesson <laughs> um that that actually that actually um I'm okay. Mm. You know, I'm 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 good and and it's not it's taken me a while to kind of get to that point where, you know, I need to believe in myself because mm. I'm actually okay. I'm good at what I do. And, um, and yeah, so that's, that's it. And I think I'm there now.
1: I think it's a lesson we all need to learn. <laughs> uh, be comfortable in your own skin, isn't it, really? Hmm. If there's three people that you could invite for dinner, who would they be?
0: Well, there's three people I'm having regularly round for dinner um, at the moment, and I'm just loving it, um, is my mum, my dad, and my partner. And I haven't seen my mum and dad for four years. They arrived in Australia. They live in the UK. They arrived in Australia um, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, it's just been delightful reconnecting and getting to know one another again, in a sense, Um, and sitting there and just talking a lot, and you know, eating good food and enjoying one another's company. So that's 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 those are the three people that I that I want to share meals with right now.
1: Sounds divine. Sound and and um, yeah, you mentioned that that you hadn't seen them for four years and uh, through this pandemic they've been living in the UK. So you must be a very happy at time in your life around, which is exciting. Mm. What's some of the best advice that you've ever received?
0: Trust your guts. Mm
1: yes so true
0: yeah don't don't over don't overthink Mm. it um sometimes you've just got to really trust your instincts in making decisions and i think quite often we spend a lot of time worrying about whether or not the decisions that we're going to take are going to be the right ones and we wait until we've got all the evidence and all the information and all the risk analysis and sometimes it's too late um, so just trust your gut. Sometimes you just gotta make decisions based on your instincts.
1: I love it. If you had access to a time machine, where would you go?
0: Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> uh, where would I go? I reckon I'd go back to um I reckon I'd go back to Egyptian, early Egyptian mm. times. I think that would be really interesting. That'd be cool. Yeah. Perfect. Don't know why, but that's just off the top of my head. I hadn't thought of it.
1: <laughs> Good question to have around the dinner table tonight.
0: <laughs> mm, yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, if you had one superhero power, what would it be?
0: To make the world a kinder place. Make
1: the world a kinder place. I like that. I like that. It's a big burden to have on your shoulders though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and i'm a lover of a shit joke <laughs> so do you have a good you know they call them dad jokes mum jokes do you have a, a good dad joke for me
0: well it's kind of along the lines of the term that you just use what's brown and sticky
1: <laughs> i'll let you tell the punchline what's brown and sticky <laughs> a a stick. Stick. <laughs> well done <laughs> uh very good i love that one it's uh it's it's the most it's the it's the one i use in the kids all the time Thank you very, thank you very much, um, for your time today, George. It's been an absolute pleasure. We've, uh, we've, like I said, we, we didn't probably cover all the nooks and crevices, but we definitely touched on some really, um, really deep topics. And, uh, and I just want to thank you from the community for everything that you and the Beyond Blue team are doing. Uh, your uh, amazing work and that offering of support. And, and for those who are interested, we'll put it all the, the you know, the new, new access, um, and the, uh, the website links in the, in the show notes for you to click onto and, and explore what Beyond Blue have in their offerings. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to say thank you again.
0: Pleasure, Daniel. Thanks for having me.
1: Not a problem. Take care, all. We'll, uh, we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the podcast, all. You can check out the show notes if there was anything of interest to you and find out more about us at synergyiq.com.au. I am going to ask, though, if you did like the podcast, it would absolutely mean the world to me if you could subscribe, rate, and review. And if you didn't like it, that's all right, too. There's no need to do anything. Take care, guys. All the best.
0: Thank you once again for joining us here at Creating Synergy. It's been great spending this time with you. Please jump on to the Synergy IQ Facebook and LinkedIn page, where the discussion continues after the show. Join our mailing list so you'll know what's happening next at SynergyIQ.com.au. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you really enjoyed it, please share it with your friends.